Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Live from New York, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Travel halt. The White House restricts travel from 26 European nations. Trading halt. U.S. stocks plunge 5% pre-market for the second time this week. And season halt. The NBA suspending all remaining basketball games. It's Thursday. Let's make a move. Once again, to first move, historic times, historic movements too across global stock markets in particular as one by one they fall into bear market territory. U.S. futures, as I mentioned, are limit down once again. That means we simply can't go lower than 5% in pre-market trading. Ultimately, it means, like Monday, we could therefore open down more than 5%. If we hit 7%, of course, we could see trading suspended, that 15-minute suspension, again, that we saw in trading on Monday. I can give you some kind of gauge. The S&P ETF, so something that tracks the S&P 500, is down around 6% at this moment. So that's giving you a sense of where we are. Ultimately, they were looking at the Dow on track for yet another 1,000 point plus drop. It follows Wednesday's session where the Dow fell into bear market territory, dragged lower in part by an 18% drop in Boeing on cash flow, cash flow fears. It's the entire airline sector, of course, too, at the heart of the crisis that we're seeing here. The S&P 500 could also follow into bear markets. 70% of its individual stocks already down more than 20% from their recent highs. The latest short-term driver, at least, President Trump's primetime address to the nation last night, where he announced a 30-day travel ban on 26 nations in Europe. Perhaps no surprise, therefore, and you can take a look at this now, European stocks are lower. The travel shares are among the hardest hit, falling some 10%. What about the European Central Bank? Well, they decided to leave interest rates unchanged today. Yes, unchanged, not taking interest rates further into negative territory. I think a lot of people will welcome that. They did, though, take various steps to inject emergency liquidity, support lending to the real economy. We'll take you through the details very shortly. Let me give you a look as well, and you're seeing it on your screen. Oil under pressure once again, down some 6% plus. But it is a global story. Japan, as you were seeing there, in bear market territory too. Australia, a big sell-off there. And they also announced $11 billion worth of stimulus. India, also in a bear market. Now, for all the stimulus efforts, the only real thing, I think, that gives both investors and ordinary people here greater peace of mind is information, pure and simple on the outbreak and on the true number of cases. And right now, we simply don't have it. 
Let's get to the drivers. The United States has restricted travel from Europe for 30 days. This is the president responds to mounting pressure to address the coronavirus outbreak. All travel from 26 European countries will be suspended from midnight on Friday. The United Kingdom, though, and Ireland are exempt. After the announcement, the administration clarified that the restrictions would not apply to U.S. citizens nor to goods coming from the continent. U.S. Vice President Mike Pence appeared on CNN a short while ago defending President Donald Trump's decision. We've recognized our health experts tracking global data that the epicenter of the coronavirus has shifted from China and South Korea to Europe. Two weeks ago, there were roughly 500 coronavirus cases in Italy. There's 12,000 as of today, 1,000 in Germany yesterday, 1,000 in France. And so the, the health team came into the Oval Office, presented that to the president, uh, and he made the decision uh, on the spot after hearing from all sides that the best thing we could do was suspend all travel. Nick Robertson joins us now from Downing Street in London. Nick, the European leaders are up in arms, saying this was unilateral action. Medical experts are saying this is like shutting the barn doors after the horses have bolted. People are condemning this move from the White House. Oh, oh, absolutely. And that's what we've heard in this joint statement that's come from the uh, European Council and European Commission presidents saying that they disapprove of the United States' unilateral action. We've heard from the British Chancellor today saying that Britain bases its decisions on scientific uh, evidence and scientific facts, and it doesn't believe that closing borders actually stops the spread of the virus. Uh, and interestingly, look across some of those countries that the United States has banned. Uh, Lithuania has only had, I think now, three, maybe four cases of coronavirus, yet it's lumped in with Italy on that ban. Perhaps, yes, because the borders between those countries is all part of the Schengen area, uh, are transparent. People can move from one place to another. But Britain has over 400 cases. Ireland, 43 cases. Ireland just announced the first, its first death of, of a citizen from the coronavirus. The Prime Minister in Ireland has been warning citizens today that more sickness will come and that tragic, more tragic deaths to be expected. Um, it doesn't seem at all that the Europeans are minded to think that what President Trump has done is right for the United States and right for the health and welfare of, of the United States citizens. And neither do they think it's going to help them here in Europe. And of course, beyond that, those major concerns about how it's going to affect the economy in Europe. It's going to damage business massively just when countries are trying to figure out how they can get through this crisis, limiting the economic impact. Absolutely. And it's also leaky to your point. I mean, you've illustrated the point that you could, if you can get the flights, and that's a far bigger question perhaps at this moment, fly via London and still come to the United States. Also, if you're a US citizen here, you've still got the right to come back to the United States, even if you will be checked on entry. It's leaky as a system. I, you know, when you look across the border, what every country is doing, um, there are leaks in most systems. It's the authoritarian states like China who've been able to implement some really strict and stringent controls over people um, who've been successful. They moved slowly. Um, and the evidence here, the medical evidence, is that President Trump has really, and this is what the critics are saying, has moved too slowly. Um, there's a lot of criticism being handed around at the moment. Look, for example, 
simple about the situation in Ireland today. The Irish Prime Minister announces that all the schools in Ireland will close as of 6pm today. We haven't heard the British government making a similar announcement about the schools in Northern Ireland. Maybe that will come later today. But there you have a transparent border and no difference between one side of the border to the other. So there's a lot of criticism being spread all round about the way countries are handling it, in part because people are very, very concerned about their health and welfare and feel that they're being shortchanged. So I think we're going to hear a lot more criticisms going forward. Yeah, it's just a, a sense that they've tried not to alarm people and panic people, but as a result, aren't prepared at the same time. And it's finding that balance. And quite frankly, right now, leadership isn't. Nick Robertson, great to have you with us. Thank you so much for that. Now, to Nick's point there, the confusion created is what we're seeing investors react to at this moment. Stock markets around the world simply taking flight. John Defterius joins us on this. John, it's a, a sort of leadership vacuum once again, I think, that was illustrated last night, but it just compounds the pressure that we've seen and the fright that we've seen from investors globally. I think you hit the nail right on the head, uh, Julia. All investors really kind of took from this outside the United States is a reason to sell. As one leading strategist said, sell, sell, sell on the words of Donald Trump because of the travel restrictions are uh, much more restricted uh, than expected. And also no real clarity when it comes to policy uh, right now. So you and I have talked about this idea of managing expectations. This is a case of mismanaging expectations. Uh, they talked about having a major plan for the airline industry, for example. All we really know about right now is a three-month uh, tax holiday, and we're not really sure whether the U.S. healthcare system has the proper screening at the statewide level and whether the umbrella of the federal policy is correct. So we're seeing a lot of red right across the board. We've had selling in Europe uh, for six days on the trot, and we're right near a four-year lows. And the obvious losers, the airline stocks, hospitality, retailers, cinema stocks, in this trading block, down 10 to 15 percent. And I think this is a fair criticism. There's too much emphasis within the G7 states and even in the G20 about cutting interest rates. The U.S., U.K., Australia, Singapore, uh, the ECB, the European Central Bank, is on the docket right now. How do you revive growth is the big question right now. And I think during the two 2008-9 uh, global financial crisis, uh, the U.S. was leading by example. I, I think we're in a case right now where they were in a state of denial, as you were suggesting, at the White House. And then when they roll out a plan, it's well below the expectations. The bar is very low right now. And that's why we see the selling taking place. Oh, John, that's such a great point. It's the combination here of the economics of sudden stops, which is what the airline investors, what the companies themselves are dealing with at this moment versus the economics of fear, which quite frankly is born out of a lack of information and information that we're simply not going to get. The oil market, I want to draw on your expertise there too, because clearly very much at the heart of all of these issues, whether it's the airlines, whether it's the threat of recession risk here as well, plunging once again, not to mention all the challenges of the big supplies here that we've been talking about now for, for days yeah, so, you know, uh, Julia, in the airline business, everybody fights over the landing slots to go in these uh, transatlantic uh, trips to New York, Washington, now the long-haul flights to Los Angeles. Uh, they're going to be restricted. And not surprisingly, uh, this is going to hit the oil market, and we already see it playing out, because jet fuel represents about 7% of daily global demand. What does that mean? It's about 6 million barrels. 
That's a lot to move a market. It's 12% jet fuel of the overall transportation market. Then we have to carry this down a little bit further. If people are not moving around because they're not going into shopping malls, not going to restaurants and the rest, gasoline demand is going to drop. And we see 6%, 7% on the headline number. How about 10% uh, for gasoline supplies at this stage? Uh, that's what we're seeing. And also kind of this double whammy. Uh, Aramco delivered on the promise already what it's going to be offering. $25 a barrel to the European uh, purchasers of its fuel. That's a deep discount, about 5 to $6. And we see that Reliance Industries, which is a major partner of Saudi Aramco, already taken a super tanker of 2 million barrels going into India, taking advantage of this discount. It's kind of a cruel world out there, but that is the reality. Yeah, it is the reality. And to the point that you made at the beginning there, rate cuts don't help. Giving people more money arguably doesn't help if they're not willing to go out and spend. They simply can't. It's it's tough here. The balance is tough. John Defteris, great to have you with us. Very much in line with that. The European Central Bank leaving eurozone interest rates unchanged as it unveiled a package of measures to improve liquidity amid the coronavirus crisis. And in the next half hour, of course, we'll hear directly from new chief Christine Lagarde. Anna Stewart has been pouring over the details of what the European Central Bank announced and didn't announce today. Interesting move here from the European Central Bank to say, look, we're not taking rates into further into negative territory here because that's going to harm the banks. We have to use other methods here. And I think banks will be relieved by that news that we're not going to go further into negative territory. Of course, uh, equities not looking quite so happy. Uh, You would expect monetary policy to be looser given the risk of recession we're looking at across the board, frankly, in the Eurozone, even across Germany. So rates remain unchanged, but there was a lot on supporting banks with funding, an additional LTRO to bridge between the current one and the one that hits in June. Teltro 3, which hits in June, much more favourable rate. We're looking at 25 bips below the main refinancing rate. Although I have to say there was some expectation for it to be even lower still, perhaps lower uh, than the main deposit rate. So we didn't get that. Uh, And an additional announcement on QE, expanding asset purchases by 120 billion euros this year. That's $135 billion. We've just had an extra press release talking about relaxing rules for banks. So that's something I think we'll get, get much more info from Christine Lagarde in the press conference coming up. We're relaxing capital buffer requirements, trying to get banks lending to these small and medium-sized businesses, particularly, of course, in places like Italy, where they're really going to struggle with cash flow in the coming weeks. Julia? Anna, great job. Thank you so much for that. All right, let me bring you up to speed now with some of the other stories that are making headlines around the world. The professional U.S. Basketball League, the NBA, has suspended its entire season after one of the players tested positive for the coronavirus. CNN Sports, Andy Scholes joins us now. Andy, I think for many Americans, this is where it really became real, where this outbreak, we saw what impact it can have here, took us through because there are big financial implications here, too. There certainly are. You know, the NBA and basketball in the United States is, you know, it's a billion-dollar business. And I tell you what, Julia, this was such a wild scene as all of this unfolded Wednesday night. And when the NBA ends up resuming, we really have no idea. But the Thunder and the Jazz, they were actually on the court about to start play when they found out a Jazz player had tested positive for coronavirus. According to ESPN, that player uh, for the Jazz is all-star center Rudy Gobert. CNN's reached out to Gobert's representatives, the Jazz and the NBA, none of which confirmed that report. But the news prompted officials to announce that that game was postponed, then the NBA announcing that the rest of the season was going to be suspended following Wednesday night's games. Now, uh, 
I'm going to show you some video of Mavs owner Mark Cuban, his reaction when he found out the news uh, while the Mavs were playing the Nuggets and Cuban saying after their game, uh, this whole situation was just unreal. This is something out of a movie and you just don't expect it to happen in real life, but that's the randomness of, of, of the world we live in. And so it's stunning, but we are where we are and we have to be smart in how we respond. Now, the Jazz played the Raptors on Monday. Before that, they were on a four-game road trip playing against the Pistons, the Celtics, the Knicks, and the Cavs. According to ESPN, all of those teams are being asked to self-quarantine. And since playing the Jazz, you know, those teams went on to play other teams. So the majority of the NBA has come into contact with someone uh, who had direct contact with Rudy Gobert, uh, that really gave the NBA no choice but to suspend play. Now, for now, the NCAA tournament, the big college basketball tournament here in the United States, it's going to go on as planned, but with just no fans allowed in the arenas or the stadiums. Only team personnel and a select number of family members are going to be allowed to go to those games. NCAA President Mark Emmert saying in a statement, while I understand how disappointing this is for all the fans of our sports, my decision is based on the current understanding of how COVID-19 is progressing uh, in the United States. And we're adding that they're going to continue to monitor and make adjustments as needed. Uh, the NHL, meanwhile, says they're also monitoring the situation and we'll have an update on their league status uh, later on on Thursday. But, Julia, just so many implications to these leagues having to cancel games and then not having fans at games. It's costing the leagues millions and millions of dollars. But, of course, uh, they're, of course, doing it out of precaution uh, because, they, obviously, they don't want anything uh, to get worse than it already is. Absolutely. Health first comes before everything. Andy, fantastic to have you with us. Uh, Andy Scholes there. Look, got it right the second time. My apologies. All right, right, let's take a break here on the first move. We're counting down to the market open and what kind of reaction we get when the markets open up. Remember, limit down. We can't go lower than 5% pre-market. Indications are we will open lower. And of course, the implications for the airlines, of course, too. Stay with us. More to come. Weather, sponsored by Qatar Airways. Welcome back to First Move. Wall Street bracing for another day of steep losses. I can give you a sense of the global picture here. Right at the top, you can see U.S. futures limit. We hit the limit, the lower limit of 5% earlier in pre-market trading. So we simply can't trade below that now. But indications from those markets that track the U.S. S&P 500 show a drop of more than 7%. So a trading halt when we open up in around 10 minutes' time is possible once again. Let's get some context here. We're now joined by Liz Young. She's from BNY Mellon Investment Management. Liz, oh, sorry, my apologies. Underline the uncertainty, of course, the dramatic news. Uh, Liz is coming up later on, but the dramatic news uh, from the White House late Wednesday, sweeping travel restrictions on people coming from Europe. The 30-day suspension kicking in on Friday, barring non-Americans from entering the U.S. from any of the 26 countries in the Schengen area. Greg Vallier, Chief U.S. Policy Strategist at AGF Investments, joins me now. Greg, I can't miss you. My apologies for that. Talk me through your assessment of, of the White House's handling of the situation, but also the decision to ban entry from 26 European nations. 
It gives me no pleasure, Julia, to say that this speech last night was a disaster. He didn't talk about some of the things that could be done because uh, they're stalled in Congress. He was confusing on trade, on who would be eligible uh, to still travel. Uh, he had to retweet uh, corrections after the speech. And perhaps the most damning indictment of all is in the markets this morning. The markets certainly are giving this speech a vote of no confidence. You suggested that it was possible that Congress could leave at the end of this week without coming up with any stimulus measures, yeah. anything to soothe ordinary Americans' concerns here, not just about the virus, but the impact perhaps on, on jobs, on the, the risk of shutdown and the implications. Do, do you think that Congress will be shamed into doing something this week? Well, that's the word for it. It would be shamed or embarrassed into doing something. Anything really substantial, a payroll tax cut, which looks less likely, or a big a chunk of financial aid to people, which is not imminent, that's not going to happen. They might do a few things to improve unemployment benefits, sick leave benefits, things like that. But I don't see anything that's imminent in Washington that would make the markets happy. I don't see anything that dramatic. At the end, later in the month, I think the Fed will move, but I think that's in the markets, and they're going to be running out of ammunition soon. So sadly, I don't see much from this city that could be even remotely considered a panacea. What about just mortgage relief, payments, if people struggling to make payments? The president keeps talking about a payroll tax holiday are these things even possible, Greg? Well, a payroll tax holiday is possible. It costs a ton of money. It would almost instantly raise the deficit to close to two trillion a year, or a little over one trillion a year now. But I could accept the argument that desperate times require desperate measures, and they might do that. I think more targeted aid makes some sense. Uh, people who need help uh, because they're on sick leave, uh, people who, as you say, need help because they're late in their mortgage payments. I think there'll be a lot of these things. Unfortunately, Congress is moving so glacially, I don't see any of the stiff stuff getting done anytime soon. Greg, I made the point earlier on the show that the only thing that will give people calm here is more information, information on the number of cases, on the idea that we, we're on top of this, that we can contain it. And we're not going to get that for a while. And I think that's what's playing out in the markets, too. Is this a risk I, for Pres yes. President Trump? A absolutely. I, I would say, first of all, the one slight glimmer of hope is that new infections in Wuhan have gone way down. They've leveled off and it dropped. Uh, maybe China will lead the way out just as they led the way in. Maybe we'll see better numbers. But as for Trump, Julia, I think you've got to say that in the last two weeks, his chances for re-election have dropped considerably. Uh, he has not handled this particularly well. Joe Biden looks strong. His Biden's numbers in, in Michigan a couple of nights ago were extraordinary. His support among African Americans, blue-collar workers. I think Biden now has a plausible shot to win. I think Trump needs to turn this around. But a speech like the one he made last night just further hurts his chances of winning re-election. How can he fix this in the short term, Greg? Another speech? I mean, this was prime time. It was scripted. It, it shouldn't have been this messy. 
Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I mean, a lot of this is out of everyone's control, including his. But I think the communication has to get a lot better. Uh, I think I think more should be left to Dr. Fauci, who is extraordinary and very uh, well respected. But this talk from the president that, oh, things are going to get better, that this is going to go away. It, it defies credulity and it hurts his credibility. The market's not buying it, certainly. Greg Vallier, no. great to have you with us. Chief U.S. Policy Strategist at AGF Investments, thank you so much for that. And be sure to stay with CNN. Dr. Sanjay Gupta is answering viewer questions about the novel coronavirus in another town hall, Friday live at 10 a.m. in Hong Kong. We are counting down to the market open this morning. We are expecting to see severe losses when these markets open. We've got you covered. Stay with us. That's after this. first move. That was the opening bell at the New York Stock Exchange. A demonstration there of not shaking hands going on on the balcony. What a tough day to, uh, to IPO. We are open for trading and we are seeing significant losses already. Look at that. We've got the Dow already down more than 7%. The Nasdaq hitting almost 7% too. Look, the New York Stock Exchange suspends trading for 15 minutes if stocks fall for 7% or more. And we're already there for the Dow Jones, as you can see. We're teetering there for the NASDAQ. The S&P 500 is also approaching that 7% level. We saw the United States implementing a travel ban on the EU, which has just added to the confusion and the uncertainty that we are seeing. The European Central Bank leaving rates unchanged earlier, of course, and European stocks are also under pressure. Wow, these are incredible market times. Liz Young is the director of the market strategy at BNY Mellon Investment Management. She does join us now. You'll be pleased to know, Liz. Great to have you with us. I'm lost Great for words here. here in terms of the price action that we're seeing. Yeah, I mean, this is unprecedented at this point, and it's really easy to get scared right now. And I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit anxious about all of this. What we're really watching is how this liquidity moves through the market, how it starts to affect credit markets. And we're probably going to continue to see some selling pressure or at best case scenario, a lot of chop around here in a range as the markets wait for more information. And the information that I think we're looking for is that, number one, the virus spread slows around the globe, which obviously has not happened yet. And we're just hitting kind of that that time in the U.S. where things are getting to a peak of anxiety. So we're still looking for information there. The market is probably not going to get the information it needs for weeks, maybe even a couple months yet to find out how it's hitting the corporate sector. You made some comments yesterday and I, I picked up on them and they were so important. You said the market simply can't get comfortable here. Investors can't get comfortable because they lack exactly that, the information that they need to get a grip on what the coronavirus means, not just in terms of economic impact, but just the number of cases. We don't have enough information. What is the market pricing at this stage when we see an additional 7% approximately losses? We're already in bear market territory off more than 20% from recent highs. What are we pricing in terms of economic damage? 
Right. And that's the right way to frame it, Julia, is that the market can't get comfortable, like I said earlier, because we don't have the information yet. So what it's doing is pricing in the worst case scenario. It's price, It's starting to price in a recession. It's starting to price in earnings being flat to negative during the next quarter and maybe even the second quarter. It's pricing in a global recession. And it doesn't mean that the market is wrong. But at this point, if it can't decide which direction to go, it's going to say, OK, you know what? What's the worst thing that could happen here? The worst thing that could happen is that we come down from the highs 30%, maybe more. And what does that look like? What does that look like for an economy? What does that look like for corporate earnings? What does that look like for the apple tree that we had before this? And that apple tree at all time highs had some healthy companies on it. It had some unhealthy companies on it. It had some sectors that were under pressure, energy being one of them. And what does it look like when we shake that tree this time? all things are not intended to survive a recession. So if we do dip into recessionary territory, what's happening is that the market is pointing out for us where the vulnerabilities are. And we're seeing that with things like the airline stocks, the travel sector in particular, where at least we do have some gauge of numbers and we're seeing capacity cuts, to your point. We're trying to understand the economics of sudden stops for businesses and, and for industries. We've also got the the fear, the economics of fear going on here and the impact that that has and the unknown that we've we've also discussed here as well. What about financial sector risks? Are we seeing any tensions in terms of banks hoarding US dollars because they're afraid of payments being made? Or are markets functioning well at this stage? We are seeing some signs of liquidity getting squeezed here. I don't know that that should be a huge surprise when we see such sharp selling pressure in the market. So liquidity has gotten tighter. Watching financial conditions and really the velocity of money around the globe is what the Federal Reserve is likely looking at to decide what its next move is going to be. Because the the impact that the Fed has is really on the liquidity of the markets. The Fed cannot, as we all know, it can't cure the virus. It can't create economic growth, but it can help liquidity move around the globe. And we'll probably see some action from central banks around the globe to keep that going. As far as banks in the U.S. and some of the big banks in the U.S., there have been questions about is it stressing them? Banks in the U.S. are still better capitalized than they were pre-financial crisis. They're holding a lot more in reserves and they're being safer about those reserves. So I'm not overly concerned with the big banks in the U.S. at this point. What I think is going to get hit is some of those mid-sized banks, some of those smaller-sized banks, particularly the ones that are exposed to consumer lending and the ones that are exposed to the energy market. So you are going to see some differences happen among size as we as we move through this. And we've okay. just actually hit the trading hall. Yeah. I just, uh, I just want to mention though that bell once again, same as we heard on Monday, that denotes a halt in trading. You've seen the markets moving, inching ever closer to that down 7%. We've now hit that, as you can see on your screen. So we now have a 15-minute trading halt. This gives traders, investors, time to pause, to breathe, to take out some of the initial panic. We're only six and a half minutes into the trading session here. So this just gives everybody a second to breathe, to breathe, to, to understand, to perhaps second guess the selling pressure that we're seeing. The problem is, and I'll, I'll come back to that, this is the second time in a week that we've seen this trading halt implemented for this exact reason. Um, 
we just don't have the clarity that's required to take some of this fear away. Right. We don't have the clarity. And what, what these halts are intended to do is limit more of that emotional selling. And it's, it's yeah. intended to limit what we call a flash crash. Uh, 7% could be considered somewhat of a flash crash, but it's intended to limit the more severity of a flash crash going down. And hopefully it works today. It worked on Monday. And what I mean by worked is that we didn't have to do it again on Monday after the first one. So um, we're looking at the 15-minute halt right now. We'd have to hit 13% to see another halt. And then a 20% down would close the market for the rest of the day. I'm hopeful that we don't go there. One of the things that we were watching yesterday and that I talked about yesterday was the markets, a bunch of different indices crossed into bear territory. So they crossed over that 20% down mark. And that's usually when markets try to validate whether or not we deserve to be in a bear market. And if you remember what happened in the fourth quarter of 2018, we did cross into bear territory, but then we bounced back right away afterwards partially because the market decided we didn't deserve to be there. The economy was healthy. A lot of the forces that were bringing it down were within our control. We could remove tariffs, we could slow down the trade war, and we could change Fed rhetoric at that time. This one is different, and this is different because the forces that are pressuring the market, not only the virus, but the energy market and the disputes that are going on in the Middle East, are outside of our control and with the lack of uns or the lack of certainty around how this is going to spread and how this is going to affect corporations it's giving the market another question mark of do we deserve to be in bear territory and today what the market seems to be saying is yes we do Liz, you raised so many great points there coming into this session around 70 percent of the s&p 500 stocks were already in bear markets so just to explain what that means down some 20 percent or more from their recent highs here you're saying that we're simply justifying we're having this analysis and saying actually we should be in a bear market or in bear market territory as a result of the pressure and the concerns and the lack of information about the economic impact as a result of the coronavirus here what right. stops the selling, Liz? If we not, if we're not going to get clarity on the coronavirus outbreak, what stops us? Do we get to a point where things are so beaten up that people go, it doesn't make sense to sell anymore? Well, first, I want to clarify: it's not. This isn't really based on actual analysis yet because we don't have the data. We don't have the data to model this out. So, what the market is saying is really more from a confidence and sentiment perspective that. We deserve to be in bear because we don't have a good reason not to be. So there isn't a good reason to go back up. And I always want to remind investors that the market trades on expectations more than it trades on events. So the market is right now pricing in what bear territory and a justified bear territory looks like. If we get positive news, if we get a fiscal package, if we get some support for those small and mid-sized companies, if we get some support for the labor market that might get hit or portions of the labor market that might get hit, that would be good news for the market. It, at least temporarily. To your question about what, what would be selling off, what would we be looking at is where people might be overly exposed to risk. This is a time when I wouldn't want to be overly exposed to index tracking ETFs really anywhere around the globe. So if you have overexposure or you're overweight, whether by accident or on purpose, some of those index tracking ETFs, the reason that those are at risk 
is because they're going to follow all of those emotional moves down. And you don't want to be 100% exposed to those emotional moves. This is why diversification is important, and this is why active management is important, because active managers look at the quality of a company, the quality of their leadership, the quality of the cash flow, and the company's ability to weather a storm like this. Absolutely. Liz, great to have you with us at this moment. Liz Young, Thanks Director of me. Market Strategy at BMY Mellon Investment Management. Emotion was the word there that Liz used. And, and this is exactly what we're trying to remove. We are in a trading halt. We hit the limit. The first circuit breaker kicks in at 7%. So that's why if you're just joining us, you can see the Dow, the Nasdaq, the S&P 500 in front of you. And those price levels are not moving. We are in a 15-minute trading halt for the second time in a week. Pressure as a result of an announcement from the White House yesterday banning travel from 26 European nations, just giving the market another reason for jitters here. What's weighed in this session in particular, the financials, the airline stocks in particular, a lot of discussion already, including Greg Vallier. You heard him saying this is going to have a greater negative impact in terms of the economy and particularly in Europe than it is going to benefit this outbreak of the coronavirus in the United States. You can see Europe as well. That was the impact as a result in Europe. We've also got Brent crude under pressure as well. I want to bring in Claire Sebastian here, who also is at the New York Stock Exchange. Claire, I'm not there this time, but obviously you were listening to that bell. It's a, it's a strange feeling when these circuit breakers kick in to reiterate a 15-minute break here to just simply get some of the emotion, the emotional response out of this market and to allow traders to think whether they want to push these markets further. And we could see yeah. that when we open again in 10 minutes' time. Absolutely, Julia. This happened just before 9.36 in the morning, so just really five or six minutes after the market opened. Very similar situation uh, to what we saw on Monday when we also saw uh, this halt after the S&P 500 fell 7%. Now, of course, it has joined the Dow Jones Industrial Average in bear market. Uh, until it closes in a bear market, though, we cannot call this a bear market, uh, but it is looking very much like we are in that position now, that this 11-year-old uh, record bull run uh, looks like it's coming to an end. Look, it's the uncertainty, it's the fear. But I think all of that, now that we have this European travel ban, now that the WHO has labeled this uh, a pandemic, people are starting to feel like the fear uh, is catching, or the fundamentals are catching up with the fear. They're starting to price this in as much more than just a supply chain issue for China-exposed companies, much more than just an earnings issue. This is now looking like a global economic event, something that could tip some, if not all, economies into a recession, Julia. Yeah, we've been discussing, Claire, throughout the show, it's just tough to gauge the economic impact. The only real area where we can analyze numbers, and we've had warnings from the airline body, the IATA as well, saying this is going to have a billions, more than a $100 billion impact on global airlines. This is just salt in the wounds particularly for the big international carriers today. And it's really them that have dragged these markets down already in the session and resulted in the halt that we're now uh, undergoing. Yeah, this is brutal for those airline stocks, Julia. Many of them, uh, particularly the big U.S. carriers, had lost about half of their value since their highs earlier this year, even before today. And we're now seeing 
more steep losses today. Look, this is a direct hit to them. Clearly, they're going to have to reduce capacity even more than they already have. We're already seeing these airlines, by the way, trying to sort of insulate themselves against the economic pain by introducing hiring freezes. You know, uh, CEOs in some cases have taken pay cuts or are foregoing pay. There are a lot of aggressive cost-cutting measures aside from uh, capacity reductions that we're seeing. And look, the, uh, the, the clear sense here is that people don't know. They are withdrawing guidance, and I think forecasts are going to have to be updated. Makes sense. Claire Sebastian, great to have you with us. Uh, we will await and see what happens when trading reopens. Don't move. We need you there. Claire Sebastian there. All right, plenty more to come. We are in a trading halt period, a 15-minute break of trading at the New York Stock Exchange down, as you can see, over 7% across the board for the U.S. majors. More analysis to come. Stay with us. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome back to the show. We are currently in a 15-minute trading halt for the second time in a week. Unprecedented price action on the U.S. markets. Let me explain how this works once again. If you hit a fall of 7% in trading, circuit breakers kick in. It suspends trading, simply trying to take the emotion out of the price action that we are seeing here. And we did it within five, six minutes of the trading session starting here. So what you are seeing now, zero movement for these US markets. In around two minutes time, the markets will reopen and then we'll reassess. Claire Sebastian is at the New York Stock Exchange watching the discussions there. I'm sure there's an eerie silence as people just wait and uh, see what happens when these markets open up once again, Claire. Yeah, Julia, sort of milling around on the floor going on. It has, I have to say, it feels like it passes very quickly, these 15 minutes. But as we saw on Monday, and as you say, the idea is to sort of give everyone a time out, to let them really think about why they're selling. And, and, and I think, you know, that did in some ways work on Monday. We did see selling uh, accelerate at the end of the session. And obviously, there are many hours of trading left to go after this. But it did bring some stability for a few hours uh, to this market. But then again, a lot has changed since then. The WHO has labeled this a pandemic. We have now uh, a ban on uh, European incoming travel to the U.S., which takes effect uh, on Friday at midnight. So there are a lot more fundamentals, a lot more facts that this market has to grapple with. And of course, that hits the travel industry right up front. But as the U.S. Travel Association pointed out today, Julia, a lot of people rely on travel for work. They say about 15 percent of Americans and a lot of them work for small businesses. So this isn't just about the travel industry. This is just another way in which sort of daily life as we know it, it is set to change for a brief period of time. And that is something that is signaling, you know, signals, sending signals of a potential downturn in the economy here to traders. Yeah, we're just trying to get a sense of the economics of sudden stops here, sudden stops yeah. for industries when airline chiefs are saying this is worse in terms of capacity cuts than the aftermath of September the 11th. It gives you a sense of the scale of what they're dealing with here. And it was them that weighed on the market. There is the bell. So we've yep. simply opened up trading again. Yep. And we'll just now watch and see what happens in terms of pressure on these markets. Claire, to your point, and we've been discussing this throughout the week, the next level where a circuit breaker kicks in is significantly below where we're trading right now. 
Yeah, that's right, Julia. It doesn't uh, have to hit 7% again if it goes back uh, under 7% and then hit 7% again. The, the circuit breaker doesn't kick in, kick in. It has to hit 13%. Again, that will incur another 15-minute break. And if the market hits uh, a 20% fall in one day, then it is closed for the day. Although I will say, uh, if these things happen after 3.25 p.m., then the market continues trading. And I know, and as you know, we do see a lot of trading in the last hour. We've seen a lot of volatility there uh, over the past few days. So the day is young. A lot more headlines could come out. Uh, you know, we just have to keep watching what's going on. And, and look, I will say, though, this isn't clear cut. This isn't black and white all selling among traders. I've spoken to a number of people over the week and even this morning who are sort of carefully thinking about moving back into certain high quality blue chip stocks and where they might see a buying opportunity as the market hits these bear market levels. You make a great point there, Claire. For every seller, there is a buyer but it's how much further and below they are. We are up in trading. We're going to continue to watch these markets. Stay with us. We're back right after this. Welcome back to the show. We are looking at markets under severe selling pressure here. We are approaching losses of 9%, as you can see there on the Dow. We have had trading suspended for 15 minutes. It's now kicked back in. Remember the downside levels to watch now. A loss of 13, 1-3% will then see further circuit breakers applied. What's caused this further turbulence? A press conference from President Trump last night simply not hearing measures to address the economic damage that's being wrought by the coronavirus, that travel ban on Europe, of course, too, creating real fear and jitters in the market. Yesterday, I'm willing to call it fear at this stage. We'll continue to watch the price action. It's certainly going to be volatile for the next few minutes. I think everyone will be watching the numbers here just to see whether we can bounce off the lows. Expect volatility. We'll be back throughout the next few hours to uh, continue to keep you abreast of developments. For now, though, you've been watching at First Move. Stay with CNN. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 